Cindy Martinez, and welcome to the neighborhood. Hello, and welcome back to Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. This is episode four. Um, We're going to keep doing a Chicagoland-based story. This is our paranormal segment. Now, this is going to be our last local story for a while, and then we're going to start to cover other cities and states. So keep a lookout next week for our next paranormal episode. All right, let's get into it. This was a tough one to research, and I didn't realize it would be until I was done with the entire historical part of it. So today I'm going to be talking to you about the old Joliet prison in good old Joliet, Illinois. Everyone knows this prison in some form or another. I promise you, you do. This prison is famous with its Gothic architecture and limestone exterior. The prison was the entire opening for the movie The Blues Brothers, when John Belushi's character Joliet Jake was being processed out and he meets his brother, Elwood, played by Dan Aykroyd, in the street to the song She Caught the Katie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies and a true Chicago staple. Actually, from where I live, if you take Route 53 South towards Joliet, you pass a gigantic figure of Elwood dancing next to a cop car. It's pretty awesome. And if you haven't seen this movie because you live under a rock, then maybe you've seen Prison Break or Derailed. It was even recently on an episode of Mindhunter. This prison has ultimate creepy vibes, and it was only just in the past two years that paranormal investigators started checking the place out, and even recently having hosted Zach Bagans and the Ghost Adventures crew. I almost drove myself over there at 3 a.m. when I found out they were there, but sleep won. This prison has processed and housed some of the most notorious criminals of the 19th century, Leopold and Loeb, Babyface Nelson, John Wayne Gacy, and even former Illinois Congressman Mel Reynolds. I wanted to do this one, of course, because it always gave me the creeps when I would drive by it at night. And I had been itching to go on a guided paranormal hunt, but was only able to get into a historical reenactment tour Halloween weekend 2019. And I had quite the experience that I'm going to tell you about later. I can tell you firsthand this place is haunted, and I'm determined to go back. Sources that I want to cite is JolietPrison.org, JolietHauntings.com, There were two articles in the Chicago Tribune written by David Heinzman and Lou Carlozzo, the Ghost Adventures episode, John Wayne Gacy, and Believe, A Paranormal Experience, IPRA Strong, the Facebook page, Haunted Joliet Prison, and of course, Wikipedia. The place has a lot of history, so let's jump in. Joliet Prison is located at 1125 Collins Street, Joliet, Illinois. Standing at 72 acres, its history is synonymous with Joliet history, which was incorporated in 1852. It is the second oldest prison in Illinois. The building's iconic architecture makes it look more like a neo-Gothic castle, its exterior made entirely of limestone. Its surrounding walls are 20 feet high. It was designed by William Warren Boynton, Chicago's earliest architect, His other famous works include the Chicago Water Tower. Above several doorways were engraved lines such as, Make time serve you, above the school. And make ye a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel 1831, above the chapel. 
On the floor of solitary confinement, as you walk in, there's an engraving that says, It's never too late to mend. The prison was built by use of convict labor leased by the state. Construction began in 1858 with its first 53 inmates. It was also used during the Civil War to confine prisoners of war. Abraham Lincoln briefly stayed there in the warden's quarters during his presidential campaign. There was no separate facility for young offenders. In 1864, the ages of the inmates ranged from 10 to 68 years old. By 1872, it was the largest prison in the U.S. at the time, with its population of 1,239. The prison was originally meant to include a 100-cell house for female inmates. Instead, they were housed adjacent from the men's cells between 1859 and 1870. Then they were moved to the fourth floor of the administration building before their own cell block was opened in 1896. The women's prison was more of a commune, and they were able to have their children live with them in the prison. Inmates ate in their cells until 1903, when the dining hall was built. From very early on, the prison's living conditions were horrid. It was very slow to modernize. It did not have any running water or toilets in the cells until 1910. The original cells were 4 by 8 feet and held two inmates, and they had to share a bucket for human waste and another for water. Showers weren't installed until the 1920s. Before that, inmates were only able to bathe once a week in the summer and once every two weeks in the winter. Only having 15 iron tubs, some inmates were forced to share a soak to save time. In 1915, inmates were allowed one hour of outdoor recreation, strict quiet time was enforced during meals, and a day school and newspaper formed. The prison also experimented with an honor farm, located in Lockport, Illinois, where model prisoners were allowed off the campus to work there and live without the guards, growing food for the prison. These privileges were revoked in 1917 after a riot. Joliet Prison was meant to close in 1925 after the opening of Stateville Correctional Center in nearby Crest Hill, but they operated simultaneously instead. Although calls for its closing due to the unlivable conditions date back as far as 1905. According to the Chicago Tribune, generations of zealous politicians have called for its closing. It has been slammed as a dungeon in a dang pit, and it has been repeatedly decried by its host city. In 1943, the state finally announced plans to close and demolish the prison, but unfortunately, with the start of World War II, it was not followed through. Starting in the 1960s, the prison included a reception and classification center for Northern Illinois, holding new prisoners for less than a month before their final assignments. They were known to process over 20,000 a year. By 1990, its population peaked at 1,300. And finally, in 2002, the prison was closed, citing budget cuts and the dangerous nature of the prison. Its staff consisted of approximately 540, an inmate population at about 1,200. Most of them were transferred to nearby Stateville. Perhaps due to its awful conditions, or simply the criminals it housed, the prison was a breeding ground for violence, riots, and suicides. Many inmates hanged themselves in the bars of their cells. Two notable ones happened in solitary confinement, and the riots always involved fires and murders. One inmate was even found beaten to death and dismembered on the steps that led to death row. In June of 1915, the wife of the warden Edmund Allen, Odette, is murdered in her living quarters. Her skull was crushed and her body had been burned in her bed. 
There were three houseboys working that night, and the main suspect had been Chicken Joe Campbell. As investigators looked into the murder, Joe was held in isolation. The prisoners rioted, demanding Campbell be released. Edmund Allen was known as a compassionate man and was popular with the inmates. The prisoners reached out to him about establishing an honor system in the name of his wife. The warden was quoted as saying, The man who killed my wife must die. But I must know for certain that I have the right man. Joe was sentenced to die in the hangman's gallows, and the governor, feeling that they were quick to presume his guilt, commuted his sentence to life in prison. Until his death in 1950, Joe maintained his innocence, and Odette's murder was never solved. One of the more notable riots includes June of 1917, where the prisoners rebelled after the warden cuts off love letters from a women's group known as the Oriental Esoteric League, killing one and setting fire to seven buildings. In 1931, in the fight for parole reform, a fire and riot broke out, killing one prisoner. Another notable riot happened in 1975, where members of the Chicago gang, the Black Peace Stone Nation, seized control of the prison and held several staff hostage, including CEOs for over five hours. Their primary upset was over several transfers of the members to other prisons because they had too much control over other inmates. Seven guards and one medical tech were injured, and one former member, who was on the path to reform and had been cooperating with administration, tried to reason with the rioters and was murdered. In 1966, 900 prisoners go on a hunger strike, citing that beans were being served during too many meals. Immediately after it ends, the first thing they're served? Beans. In 1971, black prisoners smuggle out a letter with detailed accusations of prison guard brutality, including beating and mace springs. Since its closing in 2002, the prison fell victim to vandalism and arson, until 2017, when Joliet Mayor Bob Odekirk personally petitioned the state government to allow the city to take control of the property. Since then, the Joliet Area Historical Museum has taken a leadership role in operating tours in partnership with many community members and businesses, forming the Old Joliet Prison Preservation Coalition. Types of tours vary from historical, photography, to paranormal. Abandoned and decaying, according to the executive director of the museum, it literally looks like someone just got up and walked away. Peeling paint drapes down from the ceiling and walls. Papers are left scattered in the offices. The bars of the cells are rusted. There is still medical equipment in the hospital that were left behind. Many of the areas remain off limits to the public, including the warden's living quarters. The tours are known to be quite popular, attracting visitors from all over the world, many of them dressed like the Blues Brothers and asking to see Joliet Jake's cell. Since 2017, the paranormal investigators started coming in. And man, do these spirits have a lot to say. Before I get into the paranormal evidence, I want to tell you about my personal experience at the Joliet Prison. I haven't actually informed the Historical Museum, and to be honest, I don't know why. I tend to not react the way a normal person would every time I have an experience, perhaps because I've had so many, or because of my over-awareness of their existence. Now, I already explained that as much as I wanted to get into a paranormal tour, 
the best I can get was a historical reenactment tour. This restricted a lot of the campus to us, as the waivers we signed only allowed us onto the grounds. The only buildings we could step inside of was solitary confinement and the chapel. First of all, the entire place is full of energy. I felt the buzzing from the tip of my head down to my fingertips. It was so bad, it felt like my skin was vibrating. It started the moment we stood in front of solitary confinement. We are allowed in this portion of the prison. I walked into a cell and could only stand it for a few seconds, although our time in there was rushed. I couldn't quite pinpoint it, but I knew we weren't alone. We walked around some more and ended up near the west cell block. This is where we were allowed to step inside and peer through the bars into the block. I felt someone watching us from the end of the hall. I walked right up to the bars and tried to focus on the being at the other side. I knew something was there. I put my hand on the bar and was starting to get goosebumps when I felt the buzzing very strongly on my left side, and I felt something firm tug me back away from the bars. I'm not sure if it was a hand or something pulling on my backpack. We weren't on a ghost tour or a hunt, so instead of making a scene, I walked outside, remained calm, and made a joke about it to my friends. I let it go. I walked 20 steps more to the basketball court by myself. I was alone. Everyone else was drinking or standing around talking to the reenactors, but I didn't feel alone. So I take out my phone and I take four pictures from where I stood of the hoop. On the fourth photo is where I caught it, a white mist on the left side. Again, I didn't react. It was more of a, I knew it. I don't even think I told my friends. The photo quality is terrible, but there's no mistaking the mist on my left side. Just a few minutes after that, we walked into the chapel, watched a conversation between Odette and Edmund Allen, hearing the story of her murder. The buzzing was stronger than ever. There was something in that room with us, watching from the corner, again, on my left. I tried to concentrate on that corner. I stared at it, letting the darkness consume me, but I saw nothing. I merely felt it. Since that night, all I've wanted to do is go back, just to know more but I'm not an investigator, and I have to wait until the touring season starts. This is the hard part now, the haunting. I was able to look through compilations of evidence conducted by many investigations teams. I was able to conclude that most of the activity is caught through EVP and spirit box sessions. According to Shadow Hunters, a team I came across in my research, there have been reports of singing ghosts, a sense of dread, and while others swear to have felt cold rushes of air. Shadow figures are seen in hallways, and people have reported to being shoved when there was nothing there. The inside of the hospital always seems to be 20 degrees colder than it is outside. There have been a number of reports in the women's prison of babies heard crying. But quite a number of the spirits are known to be intelligent, if not all of them. The areas with the most activity are in the west cell block, the showers, the cafeteria, and the hospital, specifically the x-ray room. There have been reports that in the showers, frequently you get the strong smell of blood. And in the hospital, there is a female nurse and a man named Greg who likes to stay in the dentist's room. There's another male spirit who likes to tug on people's backpacks and grope women. Some physical evidence that I found was a photo of a man standing at the end of the hall. And Ghost Adventures captured a shadow person in the west cell block, also at the end of the hall. 
They also capture a number of light anomalies and orbs in the hospital hallways, the x-ray room, the OR, the administration building, the yard, and solitary confinement. Two of the investigative teams use something that's called an SLS camera, which catches anomalies not seen by the naked eye. I do have a couple of stories compiled by Zach Bagans. The first one is Lisa. Lisa was with a group of investigators who allegedly brought something back home with them. According to them, all night long they were startled by banging noises and doors slamming in their apartments. They went back the next night to confront the spirits and went inside the hospital. One of the girls felt something go under her backpack and scratch her. Then her chest was groped. That same night, Lisa was pushed in the hallway. Next story is Rob. His experience also happened in the hospital. A tour had just ended and he was alone. It was around noon. Rob saw a man standing in front of the door that leads outside, blocking Rob's way out. As Rob got closer, the man backed up and into the sunlight and then vanished into thin air right in front of Rob's eyes. I'm not sure if this was Greg or not. I was concerned while researching this because I felt like there wasn't enough evidence for me to report on until it all became too much evidence. And there's still a ton of info that I couldn't find that I would only be able to learn if I physically went to the prison and heard it from a guide. So I'm gonna go through this by investigations teams. It seems the best way to organize this. I want to start with the Illinois Paranormal Research Association, also known as IPRA Strong. And they're the shit. These guys are amazing investigators all across the board. And from my research, I can tell that they've caught the most activity at the prison. Either that or the relationship is strong with the museum and they're allowed access more than anyone. Upon their first night there, they say immediately they felt the energy and could tell that they were being watched. While inspecting one of the 4x8 cells, they heard a banging noise down the hall and followed it, immediately starting an AVP session. While holding the recorder, one of the guys feels something tugging on his arm. Hearing whispering with his naked ear and feeling strong energy right next to him, they hear footsteps and decide to start a spirit box session. He asks, are there any spirits with us? They get a yup, wait, shoot him. He asks, are there any innocent people that got locked away in here? Yes. Me. Any murderers in here? Me. Yes. How are the guards here? Nice or mean? Awful. In solitary confinement, they started another shadow box session. How many spirits are in here right now? 100. Anyone ever die in this building? Help. Yep. After a few minutes in a cell, they felt a presence in the doorway. They ask, can you tell me what your name is? Calvin. They decided to start an EVP session. They ask, who was standing in the doorway? The response, I felt burdened. How much time did you do in here? 22. Did somebody hang themselves in here? Come. They make their way to the hospital, and when they walk into the x-ray room, one of the guys decides to lay on the x-ray table and start a spirit box session. Do you guys need help? No, a woman answers. No need. 
How many have you laid on this table? 100. He feels something touching his hand. What is your name? Calvin. It seems like the spirit they encountered in solitary followed them. It seems like the spirit they encountered in solitary followed them. Then something grabs the investigator, and the box captures... Dead meat. They pull out the recorder for an EVP session asking... Hi. Who's the spirit that touched me? Get out. The spirit that's in this room, are you male or female? Male. They also capture shouting and laughter on the recorder. The investigator no longer feels comfortable and darts out of the room. After a few minutes, they decide to pull out an SLS camera and turn the spirit box back on. He's asking, who touched me? Show yourself. And the camera captures an anomaly, shaped like a body, floating above him in the doorway. It disappears for a second, then it reappears again, standing on the man's left side, and it looks like its arm is moving erratically, like it's swinging and trying to hit him. The spirit box captures hi, then disappears again and reappears behind him. Again, it says hi. As the investigator turns around and extends his arm, the box captures the word asshole, and then hi again. The anomaly starts to reach towards the man, As it makes contact with the man, he tells his partner, I feel cold. His partner responds, you feel cold and he's touching your hand. The man asks the spirit, are you touching my hand? The box captures, yes. The anomaly starts to grow in size, seemingly getting stronger. Then the man says, I don't feel good and has to walk away. It was very clear that the spirit was absorbing his energy. In another video, the men wandered into a supply warehouse, littered with old mattresses, trash, and shoes. They captured a ton of voices in this one, so they conduct a spirit box session. Are there any spirits with us tonight? The box captures a woman's voice. Struggle. What is this place called? Prison. God bless you all, and I hope you can all find the light. Light. Assholes. Point. Did you meet God when you died? Sorta. Is there a heaven? Yes. What is your name? Bob. Tony. It's roll call, line up. Sweet. Assholes. What is hell like? Very dark. Hot. Are there any spirit guards here? Duh. Are you a guard or an inmate? Inmate. 11 years. Did you steal? See. Did you hurt someone? Yes. Another video takes place in the showers. The investigator asks, What is it that you want? The box goes crazy, capturing many voices. Fib. Run. I promise ya. Burning. This place is fucking burning. The woman filming feels a presence behind her, and he asks the spirits, Is there somebody over there? I'm by the door. Another team I came across was shadow hunters. The bulk of their activity was caught in the hospital, but on their way there, they captured on their cameras high-pitched noises that sounded like iron or steel doors opening. When they walked into the hospital, another EVP was caught saying, I do too. 
As two of the team members walked into the x-ray room, the closet door on the right side of the room opened and closed. They tested it and it was too heavy to move on its own. They captured several EVPs such as, I'm in the room with God, and this is crazy. While in the cafeteria, they captured what sounded like a wooden spoon hitting the ground and the sound of a trumpet playing in the distance. I want to briefly bring up a video I saw of a medium named Chris Fleming and his encounter during a spirit box session. I saw this on the prison's Facebook page, and from what I can see, the video was posted live. Apparently, Chris sees angels above him while engaging with the spirits. He asks the spirits, how many of you? 30. Chris responds, that's a lot. Yes, angel. Is there an angel watching over me? See. The box kept repeating the word angel, so Chris encourages the spirits to cross over and let the angel help them. At first they resisted, saying the words weak, scared. The box captures another voice saying, come. Then the words, thank you, good luck, Michael. It seems that not everyone left, but quite a few did. The last team I want to know is, of course, the infamous Ghost Adventures crew. Now, Zach Bagans and his team are known for the dramatics, but you can't look away and you can't help but love them. This was an amazing episode. However, I didn't like that their main focus of the investigation was John Wayne Gacy. I mean, yes, the notorious prolific serial killer was processed and stayed there temporarily, but I didn't understand the hype. He wasn't there long, and he certainly wasn't executed there. He did stay in the hospital for some heart problems, but that was about it. Nevertheless, the guys got a ton of footage. From the very beginning, when they were just conducting interviews, Zach is feeling the negative energy, and they hear noises. They had to stop interviews several times to investigate sounds and look into several rooms. Zach follows the energy to the x-ray room. He says in his mind he can see a man screaming. He takes a picture and captures a red mist. Aaron and Billy go into the x-ray room with the SLS camera, and they capture an anomaly shaped like a person behind Aaron. It was suspended in mid-air, just like IPRA's video, and there was a line going through from the hand to the head. Then it lets go as if jumping, and both the head and the line disappear. The rest of the body just hanging there, dangling. Then it just disappears. While Zach is in the warden's quarters, Aaron and Jay go back to the hospital. They capture several light anomalies while there, and Jay decides to lay on the x-ray table. He is alone in the room, and he's trying to communicate with Gacy. He hears something, or someone. He looks up at the ceiling and freaks out, jumping off the table and running outside, screaming. Aaron chases him out, finding Jay afraid and out of breath. According to Jay, he looked up at the ceiling and saw a black mass hovering over him. And then he felt severe chest pain. Zack and Billy capture a lot of activity in solitary confinement. In a certain cell, Zack is overwhelmed with a sense of panic, can see two men sitting on a bed. He's feeling attacked. And in true Bagan's fashion, he completely loses his cool and starts yelling and acting erratically. Zack grabs the SLS camera and captures an anomaly form in the corner of the room. Then the shadow box that was sitting tight in Zack's pocket is picked up and thrown onto the floor. This is captured on video. Zack's emotions are running high and according to him, as soon as they leave the building, he instantly felt better. It's clear 
clear from all the evidence I've seen that these spirits are tormented. Whether they be bad spirits or neutral, they experience quite a bit in their lifetime, and their connection to the prison is so strong that they are stuck there perpetually. Or perhaps not. According to Chris Fleming, quite a lot of them are able to let go, but don't want to, for they haven't forgiven themselves for the things they've done in their lives. And some of them take pleasure in haunting people, hurting them, scaring them, every bit as evil as they were in life. These spirits love to engage and like the attention they've been getting the past couple of years. After sitting dormant and ignored for over 15 years, they're ready to talk, demanding knowledge of their existence within the prison. And we can only stand to find out more about them as more and more people investigate the campus. Be sure to follow, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It would be a great help to us, and we would appreciate it very much. Check out our social media pages. Our Facebook and Instagram is at WTTN Podcast, and our Twitter is at WTTNP. My producer George has got some great ideas coming up in the next few weeks. We want to start including some of your stories into our episodes. So if you have one, reach out, DM or email us, or send us a recording. Now here's a quick story submitted by a listener. This is Karen. In 1990, my cousin had passed away in a car accident. She was 18 and at that time I was 10. When she passed, we were really close, so I had a huge, overwhelming sense of sadness, and I missed her every day. I felt like it was unreal, it couldn't be true. In that time, I always felt like I felt her. I would just be laying there in bed crying because I missed her, and I felt like I just felt her touch me and lay with me until I fell asleep, like she had did many times before. I used to feel her wherever I was in in everything that I did. And one night, I remember we lived in an old house and the upstairs wasn't done. It was winter because we couldn't sleep upstairs. It was too cold. And they put up plastic to contain the air from coming down. I felt like I heard a piano playing and... To me, that was odd. We didn't own a piano at the time. And it was coming from upstairs, and I felt like I needed to go up there and see what it was. And when I went up the stairs, I felt her presence. And I could visually see the plastic flapping in the wind. And I looked over, and I saw her standing there playing the piano. And I remember saying, is it you? I miss you. And her telling me, yes, I'm okay. And I'm always going to be with you. And that she was at peace where she was. And I didn't have to yearn for her like I did so many times. I remember begging her not to go and how I needed her here.
and she told me I would be okay and that she loved me and she just disappeared. Since then, I don't feel her presence anymore, but I have come to peace with her death. Tune in next week for our first out-of-state episode. Can you guess where? You'll have to listen to find out. Thanks for stopping by.